Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. It is so good to be with our family at City Bridge here today. Um, it's just a great day. It's a little more somber than normal. I just love being with certainly my family, but also our extended family here uh, at City Bridge. It's really fun to celebrate uh, this together. Uh, if you're a guest here for the first time, we're so excited that you are here with us. And this does look a little different, but uh, we're excited about today. And then Sunday morning, we're going to get to blow it out. So I hope you come back and hang out with us as we move through kind of this meditation in the next 48 hours and then celebrate the significance of uh, the resurrection. Well, if you have been here for the last month, you know that we've been in a series called Fully Alive, where we have just pounded 1 Corinthians 15, right? We have studied 1 Corinthians 15 all about the resurrection. And then on Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. But today, we wanted to go back and we wanted to help you kind of move into, sit in, dwell in, kind of wallow in the significance of the cross and why we as people kind of help put Jesus on that cross. And so that's what we are going to do today. So I don't know about you, but I've always been kind of curious about the, the angry episodes of Jesus. Anybody else? Right? Just like I look at the scriptures and there's several places where it looks like he just goes off. Right? And almost it feels like as we look at it from a human perspective, it's out of Control And so as I began to study that, something popped up to me that's really interesting and is important for us to learn and really changed how I see Jesus looks at me. And so I went and I studied and I found out that there's this incredible compassion that is linked to his anger. And so let's think about a couple of places really quick. If you go into John 2, kind of the one that stands out most to me is the money changers, right? Jesus walks into the temple. He's got a whip, okay? And he starts not whipping people, I don't think, but kind of doing the whip, turning over tables, scattering money and things they're exchanging all over the place and creating chaos. And you're like, what is that? And as you read and you study the life of Jesus, you find out that what was driving his anger was that the place to find forgiveness and grace and mercy and communion with the Father had become a marketplace. It had become a strip mall where they were exchanging things. How about John Matthew 23, where Jesus just kind of goes off on the Pharisees, right? It's, a, it's the passage where there's woes. He says, woe to you Pharisees, because you're doing this. And it just almost looks like he's out of control. But what's driving him, what's driving that anger is that the Pharisees for decades have been putting unnecessary burdens on his people, God's people that have weighed them down and kept them from communing, okay, having intimacy with God. And so out of this kind of comes this formula, I think, and you always gotta be careful when you put a formula on something, but Jesus is the perfect example, okay, of this compassion 
that moves him to a righteous anger, that moves him to take action. And so we can use that formula in so many places in our lives. When we think about justice in our world, are we angry because we're compassionate or are we angry because somebody crossed one of our boundary markers? And there's so many places that formula makes sense. And so we kind of get this, right? So I hear parents say all the time, when you think about your kids, hey, you, you, you do whatever you want to to me. You touch my kid, I'm gonna take you out. Okay, it's that, we kind of get that, right? Like this, and it's not always a righteous anger, but man, how quickly that can flare. Or if you're a single or you're a student, and one of your best friends is hurt by another friend, they're betrayed and you have compassion for them, but there's this anger that can spike. And so that formula is really helpful and nowhere is that formula kind of better communicated or seen in the life of Jesus than in John chapter 11, where Lazarus is raised from the dead. And I hope, I hope you learn something today that's gonna help you understand maybe differently than you ever have. Jesus' love for you and the reason that he went to the cross. So uh, let me just tell you, Jesus in John 11 is walking into a funeral where his good friend Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Mary and Martha have come and said, Jesus, you've gotta come. Jesus kind of hangs out and delays for a couple days in a can certainly confusing to Mary and Martha, shows up and Lazarus has been dead for four days. And here's what it says. Verses 32 through 38 of John chapter 11. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then it says that Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. So I've read that so many times. And I'm just like, okay, Jesus is deeply moved. Okay, and he's weeping. Okay, but as I was kind of a few months ago was kind of looking at this passage, I did a little bit of word study, word work, and I was amazed at how different, okay, this hit me than what I just kind of casually read. So let me see if we can kind of unpack some words here uh, that help us. And so it says he's deeply moved. And what that word actually means, whenever it's used at other places in scripture, is that there is an anger. There's a righteous anger. There's almost an outrage. There is an indignant attitude. One commentator always said that there's a profound fury. I love that word. Profound fury is what that troubled or what that means. And then you go on, the, it says he was troubled. That's kind of an emotional turmoil that's taking place in his heart. And then it says Jesus wept, right? Shortest verse in all of scripture, right? But when I read it casually, I get this kind of, you, you think kind of weepy, whiny, Jesus wept. And if you understand the word, it is not that. It is tears with 
resolve. It is like, hey, this is, hey, I am compassionate here, but there is a resolve. And so I took a little shot at this. So the Kyle Kegler paraphrase, okay? So I was gonna go back, okay, and kind of put it in my own words. And it just says that Jesus was in emotional turmoil, righteously outraged and had tears of resolve on his face. That's really different than what I read for years. I didn't see Jesus just with a resolve and a righteous anger. And the reason that he was angry is he comes upon this scene in this funeral, okay? And he is like, look what death does. Look what sin does. Look what Satan does. Look what the consequences of all these things do in our life. It's a guy uh, that was a professor of theology at Princeton Seminary in late 1800s, and he had, a, he had a quote that described this scene. It is with indistinguishable fury that seizes upon Jesus. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, he who has the power of death, Satan, and whom he has come in the world to destroy. And so John in chapter 11 uncovers something for us that I think is so helpful for us to understand that the righteous anger and the resolve of Jesus in this moment is because he looks globally at this situation and says, look what sin has done. Look what Satan has done. There's separation, there's division, there's consequences of individual choices that we made. There's a sinful world and it's, consequences. There's pain and loss and disease and everything else that plagues you in the people I love. And so it's Jesus's love for you that drives him, that has compassion for you, that drives him to anger, a righteous anger, and then to action. So what did Jesus do? He was compassionate, there was a righteous anger, and then he took action. Let's look at Matthew 20, 17 through 19. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, so get the picture, right? That he is about to lay out for them what's coming in the next weeks. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. This is weeks before he heads up to Jerusalem for the crucifixion and he lays it out for the disciples. You almost wonder why there was so much confusion among the disciples, because he told them exactly what was gonna happen. And so I just wanna take a second if we can and I just, I'm gonna kind of walk through that passage word by word. And I want you to think about what if I experienced this? What if, what if I experienced this? And kind of put yourself, okay, into those moments, okay, that are leading all up to the cross. And so Grant, as he led communion, already told us about just what happened in Gethsemane, right? The piercing and the crushing that was taking place in his heart in his, his soul, and then he was betrayed. He was betrayed by a friend named Judas. 
So think about how you would feel about betrayal. How about abandoned by his best friends? One of the things that aggravates me, hurts me, makes me spike in anger more than anything else is disloyalty. When people aren't loyal, right? Then he was sentenced to death innocently. He was standing before a court and people were accusing him of things that he hasn't done. That's so difficult for me just not to, def- not to defend myself and say, here's why I did it and what happened here. He was mocked, spit on, belittled, jeered at. They were making fun of his father. God, his father, about, hey, why don't you just get God to kind of rescue you from all of this? He was scourged, and it's not the right time to do that today, but if it would be helpful to you at an age-appropriate time to go look what that word means. It's really violent, and there's a ton of pain that Jesus went through for all of us, that he was scourged. And then he was crucified, probably the most painful way to die that we, human, human, humankind has ever known. And so Jesus did all of that because he has compassion for you. He's looking at your individual life, right? God's looking at your life. And he's saying the pain they're experiencing, the isolation, the loneliness, the addiction, the whatever it is. And he's saying, I hate that. I hate what is going on in your life because of sin and because of loss and death and all those things. And then he's, there's, a, there's a righteous anger about that. He's angry at what happens. And then he's resolved to act by rectifying mankind's biggest problem we have, which is sin. And so we, you've heard it already two or three times from David, from Grant, everybody else. We just want you to know that God loves you. But the problem is, that if we don't have a relationship with him, okay, we're separated from him. And so I wanna take just the last couple of minutes as we're together, and I don't know if you've ever walked into a jewelry store before, but if you wanna go buy a diamond, okay, they put a piece of black velvet out there, right? Dark background, and then they put the diamond on that to make it sparkle. That's a little bit of an illustration that kind of means something to me as I think about Good Friday and as I think about Easter Sunday, that hey, today we're gonna, we're gonna paint the dark background, right? And we wanna, we wanna meditate right, on the truth of our separation from God. And then Sunday morning, we're gonna take that diamond and we're gonna set that on that black background and we are gonna praise the Lord. And we're gonna celebrate that he had, celebrate the victory he had over death. So what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna read three passages right here. And I just want you to kind of settle in for just a minute. And I just want you to let these passages just move into your head and your heart and just be reminded of what the truth is that God says about us apart from Christ, apart from the cross and resurrection. Look at Ephesians 2, one through three. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, 
Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were destined for God's wrath. Titus 3.3 says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's who we all were apart from Christ. Romans 3, 9 through 12 probably summarizes it and says it best. It says this, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And that's hard for us to hear. Those of us that still think we've got a chance to earn our way, it's hard for us to hear that we're separated. But I'm just going to make some statements that might connect with you to help you understand the depth of our depravity. And so apart from Christ, you are lost in your sin. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. You're separated from God and there is not one thing you can do about it. You can wish for it and it won't happen. You can work for it and it won't happen. You can try to manipulate it and you can never be reconciled to the God of the universe in the state that you were in before Christ. The wages of that sin is death, both a spiritual death and a physical death. And it's a word that kind of hits home for me is that I, I am, we are depraved. It just means that none of us, what Romans 3 says, none of us even have any desire or anything in us to do good. And so apart from the cross, and apart from the resurrection of Jesus, sin wins, death wins, and Satan wins. I'll say it again, apart from the cross, sin wins, death wins, and Satan wins. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.